heroic he comes across. Okay, folks, uh, welcome back. It's your Juno. Um, we have said in the past big things on the way for, for the podcast. Usually we've just been joking, but here it is. It's a big thing. Uh, we have uh, for you a very special guest. Um, this is a woman who uh, is, is a, a politician uh, from the United States. Um, her name is Lauren Ashcraft, uh, who ran in New York's 12th congressional district. Uh, in a primary, she's been endorsed by Marion Williamson, Paula Jean, Brand New Congress, Blue America, Women for Justice, uh, Shahid Buttar, Blue America, Digital Left, and many more. Uh, she ran for Congress in 2020, uh, facing a field of a right-wing moderate incumbent named Carolyn Maloney and a sort of left-moderate challenger in Suraj Patel. Um, didn't win, but denied either of them anything close to a majority and won over 12,000 votes, uh, and I think kind of proving uh, that a working-class-oriented progressive platform can have a serious punch. Um, and so uh, here we are today. Uh, she's been very kind uh, to come on to the podcast. Um, and we've just got uh, kind of an interview uh, for you all today. So it's going to have sort of three sections, a sort of a backstory. Who is Lauren Ashcraft, um, both as a person and a politician? We're going to talk a little bit about the primary and then a little bit about what's going on in America today. Um, and and sort of it's 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 Future, I think so. We may as well just uh, hop right into it. I think we're should we start. just get the big question out of the way right now? Yeah, I think um, so. I think so. So, would you describe yourself as a socialist? Great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I I have to remember to be like um, audio. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And I think like um, unfortunately, like in the United States that term has been like propagandized to 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 scare people right but to me like socialism means like we have ownership like the people Mm. and like whenever you think about like getting sick um the fact that my friends in finland and my friends in germany can like go to the doctor and not have to calculate whether they'll be thirty thousand dollars in debt for getting the health care that they need like to me, socialism is we own our future and we are taking care of ourselves through responsible decisions rather than our lives being dictated by companies that are seeking a profit. Yeah, I, um, you know, I wouldn't, obviously for us as, as Canadians, that's such, such a weird concept. It's, it's insane to hear <laughs> Americans talk about the American healthcare system yeah, and like, sometimes. Obviously, I wouldn't describe Canada as like a socialist nation, but like, a few weeks ago, I was having a weird canker sore, and I was like, should I go to the doctor, should I not? And it was all about where I'm at with my health. And so it, it wasn't like a, a money thing. And, and so, yeah, it is. So so would you describe yourself, I guess, in a socialist sense, like sort of like a Bernie sense or in the yeah. more traditional? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. And I think like, I'm, I think I'm even more, I'm probably more left than Bernie. And I think, um, like he's been saying the same things for like 40 years. You can yeah. watch interviews from like young Bernie and he's saying like the top 1% of 
the people own the wealth in this country and it's the sit like the same but i think um that's been really valuable and he's created a space for politicians like me to be taken seriously when we talk and it's it's not crazy for us to talk about the fact that we shouldn't go into medical debt mm-hmm. but i think like um whenever one of the things that i love talking about the most and like educating like americans about is we have this weird misconception of scarcity of federal funds and the united states like congress has the power to create to coin dollars and um and and whenever we think about like the federal budget it's simply just a list of our elected priorities so um it, it's ridiculous to think that like we have like let's pretend we have like 75 dollars and and we can only allocate like 75 dollars across all of our budget and like 72 of those dollars go to war yeah but like we're the united states and if our budget is 75 dollars we've been spending 200 dollars for war and for militarized police and nobody bats an eye we're deficit spending all the time but if we do the same for healthcare and making sure that people can go to the doctor which is a fairly simple request people are like oh no my taxes are going to go up not necessarily and i think that's where me and bernie diverge a bit is his plans still include raising taxes to pay for stuff and my plans are simply acknowledging that we don't raise taxes for war and we spend more than our budget so first of all we should stop doing that because war is bad but we can deficit spend and it doesn't hurt anybody in fact deficit spending to make sure people are healthy would help society that was a, sorry i think i just derailed the conversation no well, that's that's funny. actually what that was the segue we were taking is sort of like what is your what is the one thing you want to see changed more than anything else so that yeah. actually was a, a great segue to that so yeah and i i think that's like a, I, I never actually heard of uh, of that but i think that's actually of the sort of idea that congress can draft money i think that that's um really interesting but no i i, I saw something the other day that really blew my mind that the united states spends more almost twice as much on the military as every other country in the top 10 combined and yes and and like i'm so thankful for my relationship with uh like left flank vets if you don't follow oh no they're great okay Okay, good yeah (laughs) they're amazing um i've had such wonderful conversations because of somebody who like my grandfathers were both in the military and um unfortunately i didn't really get i well i didn't get to meet one of them but i didn't talk about the military with my other grandpa growing up um and like don't have the opportunity now but having the opportunity to sit down with like veterans of the iraq war which is um something that the United States should not be proud of. Um, Talking about their experiences and their PTSD and coming home and and being homeless. And this weird, like, when you think about the propaganda that it takes, like how successful of of a campaign it is that we have people that are so mad that like Kaepernick was kneeling during the national anthem because it was disrespectful to soldiers. But 
we think it's normal for soldiers to come home and be homeless. Like, mm-hmm. what is broken in in our brains? Well, like it doesn't make any sense. When I talk to my American friends, you know, the not the very left wing ones that I keep online, but some of the ones I know from in real life, and I'll, I'll talk to them about you know the the whole military apparatus and about defense spending. And the first thing that they say is, "Oh, well, we do it to keep other people safe." Yeah, no. and, and these are like they're like they're not like you know it's not like they're tied directly to the military industrial complex or anything i'm not i'm not that interesting but they have like it's so deeply ingrained this idea that the the defense system is there for everyone's good and that if reaching into that pile of money to you know keep more people alive or make sure that they don't get evicted in the middle of a, a pandemic right it's just so unthinkable yeah i mean it's like to keep others safe, then if, if that's our standard, like if we're really going to go that route, then why aren't we saving the children of Yemen? Mm. Like, why aren't we involved in, in like all of these genocides that are currently happening in our planet? We're not there. So I, we're definitely not keeping others safe. There is a death toll of a few hundred thousand from the Iraq war, like not just from like drones and and bombs, but like kids that grew up with cancer because they were around um, like the toxicity of war. And, and we can't even really count the number of people who have been killed. Yeah. It's like, I I think, yeah, the the hundreds of thousands number is like a very conservative estimate. I've heard up to about a million directly as a result of the Iraq war. And either way, I believe I mean, you, it. Could, you could look at like a direct result, you could look at the destabilization of the region. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I was, yeah. you know, you can even read like back, uh, you know, 50 years ago with like the Vietnam War and how like even today, the, the use of the chemical weapons still affects that population. And it's kind of horrifying to think about like with the, the depleted uranium weapons that tanks use and things like that, that these people are actually like, this is happening all over again. And like, you see the massive protests against the Vietnam War and it's like, what did, what did anybody learn? Yeah. One of the things I'm most proud of, of of my country is that we didn't go into Vietnam. Right. Good. Yeah. There were a lot of people who wanted to 30,000 Canadian volunteers went to Vietnam out of a country of what was like the time, like 15, 20 million. That's big. But like the fact that we didn't go in against popular pressure, I think is, is something that I'm very proud of. And so it's, first of all, the fact that we went into Afghanistan is something that I'm not proud of, but I, I think that it's, it's really sort of horrifying to see how people have been like, what are your freedoms doing in Iraq? How did they get there? Um, yeah. So people, and, and, and if you like ask people these specific questions, it's like, uh, <laughs> like mm. no one really knows. It's just like, we've been successfully programmed, like you said, to like think a certain way. And I think like realizing that as a leftist, it's like, like sometimes it makes me want to bash my head against a wall because like it like you see how successful like the lack of education funding the lack of our ability to critically reason and sometimes i wonder like did do i just like see the other side cuz i i lived in germany and like i got out but like i come home and and even members of my family are we're like mad that people don't stand up for the national anthem and it's like what 
Yeah, that it's actually like, sort of leads me into uh, our next sort of section. I I wanted to to talk uh, about sort of so. I remember one of my clearest memories about politics is I was, I was quite, this is going to date me, but I was quite young during Obama's reelection campaign in 2012. Mm. And I, I was in like what grade five, grade six, something like that. And I, I wanted Mitt Romney to win, uh, not because I had any sort of political ideology, but because Obama had had his turn and I thought it was mm. fair for Romney to get his turn. And so it was whatever the date was, it was in November. I mean, it was the election was going on and, I was talking to my mom about it and she's like, well, why would you want him to win? He doesn't want gay people to be able to get married. Wow. And that was my realization that politicians could be bad people. And obviously at this point, I'm at a point where I, I wouldn't have liked Obama to win either. Cause I'm not a fan of him either, but yeah. I think that like, that was the sort of one moment that like everything going forwards. I'm now, I sort of became skeptical and I was just kind of curious, was there like a moment like that for you speaking of sort of realizing like, was there a moment that sort of defines you going forward? Yeah, I would say, uh, so my senior year of high school is when I lived in Germany with the host family. Right. And I think before, before that, I just grew up thinking like it was true to talk about politics. Like no one, it's like a boring topic. No one wants to bring it up. Don't bring it up at dinner. It's impolite. I just grew up like with that mentality and like thinking back of how I grew up, like now if I were to go home to like my childhood neighbor I know who the Trump people are <laughs> yeah I'm like I kind of keep track of them with my mind but like um uh nobody knew like each other's political affiliation and it would have been like really rude to like bring it up at some social function and I went to Germany and it's like very normal to talk about politics mm. and there's so many parties so it's not so polarized but it's like, um, I think coming back from that, I would say like in a positive way, I was kind of broken right? <laughs> because I came back and I was like, what is this? Like, like, what have we been doing here? And then I went to college and then I studied abroad in Sweden again. So <laughs> like, I was just on like a pretty, like a fast track to being like a leftist. Right. And, so so um, it was, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no! Yeah, that was that was it. I I, I was just fast tracked by by my European experience. <laughs> yeah, so so you kind of got to see the other systems that yeah. work for other countries, and it sort of disillusioned you from the U.S. Yeah, so, and yeah. I got um I got like infections in both countries when I was studying abroad. Um, and I went, I remember like specifically in Germany, um, I like had insurance through like the exchange organization but I couldn't figure out the paperwork and then I remember like um like I had a bladder infection and I remember the the person at the front desk being like just just go in there like she's like we'll we'll work it out when you come back but just like go in there and get treatment and then we'll talk whenever you come out I went in there and like got my diagnosis and got some antibiotics and then I came back and I was like okay <laughs> like here's my passport like what information do you need she's like can you just leave <laughs> she's like I don't even want to deal with the paperwork of like what it means to like have you pay as an American so I'd rather you just leave and I'm like okay <laughs> and, and same thing that happened in Sweden like I think the I was not technically insured or something when I was in Sweden and I think I had to pay like two hundred dollars out of pocket like for the first time I went in and I had to go in for a follow-up and they're like, you had to pay 
$200 last time you were here? And I was like, yeah, I think it was like really normal. And they're like, just, just go in there. Like, <laughs> and they, they like refused to bill me a second time. But I'm just thinking about how different that is from like my experience here and now and how like last week my doctor recommended that I get a test and I refused to do it because I know it's not covered by insurance right. and no one's going to waive it. Right. Yeah. That's kind of horrifying. I think it's sort of going back. I think that, you know, when you're talking in the beginning about just like, it's all a question of priorities. It's just, it's just like such a weird idea to me that um, something that is like inherently altruistic, like healthcare caring for another person could be run for like these non-altruistic means for profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, obviously there are different systems here in Canada. We have like private clinics that bill the government, but mm-hmm. so like you can still whatever, make your profit or whatever. But I, I think that like this, and, and maybe it's, maybe it's something about the sort of inherent individualism about American culture that came out of your revolution. Um, but I just, I, I feel like it's so weird that, um, yeah that like uh, there's like this cultural drive towards like this rugged individualism like you fend for yourself but then when fending for yourself doesn't work like then what yeah there's there are times when you don't need to rely on other people and then what happens go fund me yeah (laughs) exactly that's like so unthinkable is having to not just like not even for like experimental cancer treatments like go fund me is for like someone breaks a lip and they need like thirty, like twenty thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars for their hospital bills for like an injury that will happen to you maybe like once a year. Yeah. Like, like, like this particular test that my doctor wanted me to get would be like eight hundred dollars out of pocket, and I was like, "What's the risk?" Like that we have this conversation. I'm like, "What is the risk if I don't get it?" <laughs> but like like would you have these conversations with your doctor like because you're concerned about money so i think the the most i've ever incurred in a medical expense was one time um in mexico when i got sick and i think we might have had to pay around a hundred dollars (laughs) because i had to go to like an actual hospital because i was that sick so there never is like a question of like you know can we afford this as long as you have a doctor's referral it's pretty much free for almost anything so it's it's just unthinkable to have to sit down with your doctor and be like can I afford this yeah it's just I I can't even imagine having to do that it's insane yeah one time I posted like a I tweeted about like oh in Canada nobody's fighting for for moving them in our direction I think there's like a tiny movement like a very unsuccessful tiny movement of like people who want to privatize for some bizarre reason. Yeah. And so I like, never do it. Yeah. No, no, no. So there, there are sort of two. So there are people who want like a sort of a two tier system like France. Mm. Uh, and then there's also this like insane party in Alberta who want to, not only do they want to become like separate from Canada, they want to become a state. <laughs> um, but because Alberta thinks that everything's run out of Ontario and Quebec. There's like a long history there. It's really weird, but they got like 3% in polls, but I just, I don't get it. Like, why would you look at what's going on in America and see anything else in like a warning? And I've even seen like people talk about, okay, well, wait times, you know, I very recently, like this year had to have a very like large surgery. And I basically, I went to the doctor. I was having this problem. I went to the doctor, the doctor looked, it was in my knee. 
And he's like, okay, I'm going to refer you to an orthopedics guy. Refer me to an orthopedics guy. Within a week, I was in the or- in the hospital look at the orthopedics guy. Um, you know, it was probably about like four months to schedule my surgery. This was just for something that was like not even like necessary. Uh, and then, you know, I had the surgery. I had complications. I went back to the hospital a few times and that was it. And the only thing it cost me was an Uber ride. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Like my, my friend in Finland um, was having really severe migraines and there was some procedure they could mm-hmm. do surgically to help. And um, maybe it was like a benign tumor or something, but like they had to go into her brain. She literally had brain surgery and we were kind of talking like kind of in a joking way. She's like, guess what my bill was? Zero dollars. Yeah. And I was like, I can't imagine like I, my doctor wants me to have like a very minor biopsy and my out of pocket is $800. <laughs> Yeah. And that's like horrifying. I, I just, yeah. it's just a question of priorities to me. I think like, I, I, it is. I feel like there's just a cultural drive there. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like, and, and, you know, maybe it went different in Canada because we had a harsher climate and so people had to be more communal. I don't know, but I, I just feel like it's not even a question about, I mean, obviously like the rich control America to a greater yeah. extent than many other places, but I, I feel like, one thing that just isn't taken into account is that like 70 million people voted for Trump in this last election. And even more of them happily voted for somebody who said he would veto Medicare for all. Yep. Um, and you know, propaganda, it is, it's propaganda. And like, even though, what is it like 65, 70% of America? I think it was something like seven. It was like in the seventies of like, yeah. So they support, like lightly or fully uh, universal healthcare, but they're still willing to compromise on it. And I, I just, I think it's hard uh, for me to understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I think I, like what, just like we can, I've, there's just one more question we have here in this sort of getting to know you part before we get into <laughs> the primary. And that's like, so were you like politically active in your youth? I know you talked a little bit about how politics was kind of taboo. So did that affect like when you were younger, like when did your sort of political career, I guess, or involvement really start? Um, so when I was younger, I was not interested in politics at all, which I think is a big mistake in our society. Um, I was like, I grew up in a conservative town in, in Western Pennsylvania and I like probably if I were registered to vote when I was like 12 I probably would have like followed the mold and been Republican but thank goodness (laughs) I didn't um I think like I was 17 when I went and lived in Germany so that was like just the right time to like open up my mind I think um and then whenever I came back I went to college and um I think it was like the Bernie Hillary election that really opened my eyes. That's when I like started to like be like, oh, because I think um, I I honestly at the time was so disengaged from politics still that um, like whenever Bernie was talking about like the corporations controlling our politics and like dirty money in politics and um, how like the whole system is like rigged against the working class. 
Um, at first, when I heard his message, I was like, what? This guy? Like, because it's like still, even having lived abroad, I was like, you have a lot of layers you got to peel back before you get to like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To get to, to get the point of being like, yo, this country has just been like fed propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I don't know. I think I was registered independent, I think. And it was too late. I was too late to switch to Democrat to be able to vote for Bernie in the 2016 primary. Mm-hmm. So Hillary won and I was sad about it but then I quickly like got on board with like of course helping her defeat Donald Trump (laughs) so I was like phone banking for Hillary and was even like invited to like the election night party at the Javits Center here in New York as a volunteer and um and Trump won Mm. so I think like if you can imagine like that trajectory of like realizing that Bernie was the best candidate going to change my registration. And I couldn't like, I missed a deadline that was six months before the election. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And um, that's really dangerous too. Like that our, our voting laws are set up in that way because a lot of people's decisions aren't made um, six months before an election. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to vote. I couldn't. And then I like kind of reluctantly got behind Hillary and she was obliterated. Mm-hmm. And um, then I got really involved in helping to plan the women's march right. in New York. Yeah. So that's really where I just went like full steam, like we're, we're screaming in the streets kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And that's, that's good. So you sort of, I guess, started in the grassroots when you got seriously involved. Yeah. And I think so, that's a very so- thing. You know, I, I think one thing that I, I sort of saw and I, I hope he realizes whenever you get sad that it got stolen from him twice um that like it, i think it's really cool to see sort of that he has like with you sort of woken up a bunch of people like there are a lot of people who like no one was talking about this stuff before he came in yeah. obviously i don't think it goes far enough uh you know because a lot of people are like let's get it like canada let's go like norway and you know i look at my country I'm like we have so many problems but i i think like this idea that like the working class deserves their fair share. Yes. Uh, is like so <laughs> alien to the, the fact. Yeah. The fact that it was like, it was radical in 2016 when Bernie was saying like, yeah, maybe we should keep the people who keep the industry chugging alive. This And then everyone was attacking him for being insane. Oh, you're crazy yes. old. You have bad hair. Yeah. It's, it's, I just can't even imagine what it like. I mean, my, my host family from Germany texts me, my family in Japan texts me and they're like, we don't understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, we don't either. But it's like this consistent, like, 70 million people here. Like, it's, it's this consistent block of people that are fully on board with whatever this propaganda is. Well, and that's really <laughs> like, sad to me, right? Because, like, even, you know not necessarily this time around, but in 2016, so many of Trump's supporters were working class. Yeah. And I think like credit to him where credit's due. I mean, obviously he didn't do anything well in office for him, but he actually like, he went to Detroit or he went to Michigan. He went to like the mining towns and he looked into people's eyes and he said like, I hear your issues. 
and he didn't yeah. fix them. He didn't fix them. But like, obviously someone's going to vote for the person who acknowledges them. And I think yeah. like, that's something that Joe Biden didn't do this time around either. And it's not really something Trump tried to do it again, but obviously, I mean, yeah. all of his support was like lower middle class. It was like the guy who owns their dad's lawnmower sales place. Yeah, it, it was, they, it they was the, more. but um, used car dealership industrial complex were the, the main base yeah. of Trump's yeah. supporters. In this but I, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, you know, really sad to see that you know like why is it the right-wing party that has to be populist and why do you even not have a left-wing party at all and why is populism a dirty word why is populism (laughs) a dirty word i don't know i know why Um, is why is doing what the majority of people want weird yeah and why is focusing on the working class weird i saw a tweet the other day from some i don't know democratic analyst being like if you say working class your white supremacy is showing And I just, I just, I don't get it. Like why these people make hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to advise policy. Like these people don't want to win. Um, anyways, let's, let's, let's let's talk about the democratic party. Um, so (laughs) let's talk about your primary specifically. Um, so New York's 12th congressional district is the third most unequal district in America and very solid blue. Um, and so the incumbent Carolyn Maloney, I guess she certainly represents one part of it being, incredibly wealthy and having previous controversy about racist comments. Um, so I think it's it's clear that, you know, what side of your district she represented. So what, what did you hope to change? Like not necessarily about federal politics, but but in your district yeah. with your run. Um, so it's, it's so complicated because like you can see the inequality. Like I live right next to Queensbridge, which is the largest, uh, largest public housing complex in the Western hemisphere. And, um, like to see, like, I look out my window, I see Queensbridge, but like looking a little bit further, I see the upper East side across the Mm. river. It's like this really crazy view from my window. And, you, you see the inequality with your own eyes like every single day. And I think, um, you know, being, you know, New York 12th congressional district, being home to Billionaire Row and like a, a large proportion of the country's billionaires have at least some sort of penthouse here. And also being home to so many people that will through this crisis are living in hotels um, because that's where our government is putting them right now so um, it's 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 such a stark it's such a stark inequality that I really don't even have the words for it but it's like um, there's a serious lack of humanity and I say this like in a loving way but like New York is both the best and worst part of the United States. Like you can see the best and the worst of like America's humanity come out here. Cause like it has these amazing arts and it's Queens is the most diverse place in the world by square foot. Right. And, and you see all these cultures coming together and, and we're really liberal. It has amazing food. I could have like after, like any kind of food I want today. <laughs> yeah. But um but we also have so many homeless people. Like we don't even have a count 
they mm-hmm. try to figure it out sometimes but like we have so many people that society has failed and some of them are living in hotels down the street from me because um, shelters are full and I think like everything we can do like anything I can do to use my platform to remind people that we're all the same like sometimes maybe it's influenced by a weed gummy or two but like sometimes I just like have this realization that like we all have the same organs like we all have a heart and we have skin and we have eyes and a nose and teeth and it's like how can any of us think that we're better than somebody else? And, and that is really where my campaign is grounded is like, if there's a place in the world that you can see the inequality with your own eyes, it's here. Mm -hmm. And that's where we should be fighting it. Right. I think that's really very striking imagery. Like this idea of like billionaire road, just a few, like a kilometer or two away or a mile or two away from like, homeless shelters i think that that's like it's like a movie but i i I think it's it's very i I don't know it just it it scares me like here in in canada like in toronto you know that's very similar in some ways we are not to rain on your parade but by city the most diverse in the world um yeah and (laughs) nice yeah um and and you know we have you know also you know all the rich in canada are here in toronto and except for a few in halifax and like the shipping industry and 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 so you know it's it's but at the same time like we do also have a, a problem with homeless people but then when you said there's no count that really like I think last time I saw it was some like 430 people homeless people in Toronto and I was like oh my, wow way too many but like the fact that that like in for a city of like four to six million like we have that like that seems like too much to me but then the fact that in New York which is a, yeah it's a bigger city but that you don't have count it just it, it speaks to this complete like systematic I don't know if it's like a systematic failure or deliberate failure. They they estimate it's like 80 to 90,000 people. Oh my god. Yeah, so so it's it's children, it's families, it's veterans, it's like so many people that um don't have a permanent decent address to go home to. Mm-hmm. And um and, and it might be people that are, are staying with relatives. It might be people that are staying in hotels or living in a car, but, um, but it's, it's thousands, tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. and families. And uh, unfortunately, like the New York City public school system, like there are so many children that are, are in school and then they, they don't have a home to go home to. So that's been extra complicated during COVID because um, it, that it's virtual learning mm-hmm. and not every family has a laptop and schools don't necessarily have the resources to give every child who needs one a laptop and internet. But of course, so, you know, federally yeah. speaking, they can dump however many untold billions into new fighter jets that are never going to yeah. get used. Or even, or even like the police. Like, if we're looking at the current context, why is it that North Korea is the greatest threat to American security and then the NYPD has a higher yearly budget than their entire military? It's, it's bizarre. It like, is bizarre. I really, I don't know. And it's like, 
if I would have conversations with these people that like make these decisions, like I, it's like you, you have to be ready to talk with people that don't speak in fact. Yeah. And grab them by the shoulders and shake them a little bit. <laughs> a little. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, like for me, it, it, I genuinely don't know whether like the people at the top, whether it's whatever Pelosi or Trump, like whether they, well, Trump is different, but whatever. Like, do they, like, actually believe in what they say, which isn't true? Or are they, like, actually just, like, lying? And it, it, I it, don't, yeah, I don't know. Because I, um, like, I think about if I never left, like, if I never studied abroad, like, who I would be. And I think some people genuinely feel that way. Like, the people that are protesting at abortion clinics about, like, babies being killed... Yeah. I think they genuinely think I think they some some of them genuinely think that they're doing the right thing yeah. and that's like sad to me. And and then the politicians that push that narrative see it as a way yes. to whip up support, right? Yes. If they're if they're fighting the baby killers, that makes them the good people. So they just yes. push that because it means that they get their votes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The politicians, sometimes I have this idea in my head and it's I mean, if I were in Congress and like witnessing it with my own eyes, I would write about it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I wonder like if all these people like Mitch McConnell and like Chuck Schumer just like end their days and go have whiskey together. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like that picture. Have you seen that picture of like Donald Trump and I think it's Chuck Schumer having like a big laugh together? Oh, yeah. And, and, like, and or the, the ballroom that they had set up somewhere in the White House. I don't quite remember where, but it was this, they were going to have some like discussion about COVID relief. And it was this like ornate, like dinner party that they had set up. It's yeah. very, very mask of the red death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Why don't they eat cake? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what, like, I, it's, it's baffling to me. Yeah. And that like, a sizable portion of the United States thinks it's normal is like even scarier. Mm -hmm. Like if we were, if the majority of us were on the same page and thinking that like, we're kind of in like a twilight zone type of existence here. And I really don't, I don't know. I, I don't have the answers. I ran for Congress to like, try to raise awareness mm -hmm. about it. And like, I was really prepared to to go into Congress and like spit some fire and truths. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I would like that. Um, yeah, it always happen again. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so let's let's talk about speaking of the establishment. Um, Carolyn Maloney, I think I want to start with. I'm going to talk about both of them, but um, what specifically I think stuck out to you about her that you decided you needed to challenge her in a primary mm, I think um like the fact that um I mean I knew that she voted for the Iraq war mm. I knew that she like represented this She's like a, I don't know how to really put it, but she's kind of like symbolic to this like Upper East Side wealthy culture. Mm -hmm. Well, she <laughs> she's is like, very yeah. wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. But like, sh you know, the, the soirees and 
the Met Gala and stuff like she's there. Yeah. Um, and she's like known for this. This is like her reputation. And I think like seeing some new people in Congress, like Ayanna Presley and uh, Rashida Tlaib and um, AOC, like seeing how they use their platforms to to raise awareness about the Green New Deal mm. and how urgently we need it and to talk about how broken it is to to have to go to the doctor and end up with like $50,000 worth of debt to pay off. Like I had never seen people besides Bernie, like use whatever platform they had in that way. And I didn't see like really any use of, of Maloney's platform. And we're in this really urgent period. Like Mm -hmm. we're in a, a, a very, unique period of American history where I would be tickled like thinking like a few years ahead I would be tickled to look back and like think oh like 10 years ago we thought it was like normal to end up in medical debt you know what I mean like we could think like my kids could 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 think it's weird (laughs) that we had these these problems and this system set up against us so I think um realizing that we're in this like kind of sweet spot and and a turning point and I felt compelled to to join that effort and to to do whatever I could to to speak that into existence so um Maloney wasn't doing it I think me primarying her um, has pushed her a little bit. That's good. And um, to be quite open, like we've had some conversations where she ended up like joining some of my efforts to like help, for example, people avoid evictions in Queensbridge. So um, like after I lost, I reached out and um, like kind of asked for her help with a couple of things. And I think, felt like we were collaborating on these particular projects like fairly well. So I think um, I wouldn't say, <laughs> I mean, like she, she should be prepared for me to primary her again someday. Yeah. I don't know if it's 2022, um, but I, I want her and I want all of these people to never be comfortable in their seats. Like, Never think, (laughs) if you're listening, Carolyn, never think that because we collaborated on something that your seat is safe. Like, everyone should be primaried if they're not doing everything they can to push us forward in this movement every single day that they use their platform, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a little bit of a relief, honestly, to hear that you were able to have her do things like oppose evictions. I think... Yeah that's sort of a ray of sunshine as we see, you know, the, the left's inability to move Biden left in the United States. um, Yeah. I, I'm in this, like, I'm in, there's so much about like my situation that I'm in this like weird sweet spot. (laughs) Cause I, Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in like Republican Pennsylvania yeah, and I feel like in a way I can be kind of like a liaison, not to be like cocky about myself, but I feel like I can talk the languages of both sides and like Mm -hmm. help people to understand that us moving forward in this right direction together is like 
a good thing. <laughs> so like I'm willing to have shit. Like I'll fucking have um uh, a beer with like any of these representatives enough, and like yeah. and, and and try to talk sense into them. But I think like people like Mitch McConnell, nothing's ever gonna sink in. Yeah. Would I still talk with him? Yeah. I think so. Well, I think it's important, you know, like when we look at what's happening in America right now, I mean, there's like the pandemic, there's the environmental crisis, you know, the empire is collapsing and the imperial core is collapsing as well. Um, I think it's important that like, you know, you can take the route that you took originally, which was you try and get these people out of power. But if you can't, you may as well do what you can to try and soften the blow. Cause mm -hmm. I think that, Honestly, from my perspective, things are not like America's never going to be a superpower or not for a long time. Again, I don't mm -hmm. think that the America coming out of the Cold War, the America no. is ever coming back. I hope um, not, too. I think, well, yeah, I hope not as well. I mean, yeah. A lot of my politics are quite simply predicated on. I do not want America controlling the Canadian economy. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, I have a lot of respect for the American people and, and whatever, but I, I, I think that, you know, ultimately, yeah, the collapse of, uh, of the American empire has a potential to be a very good thing for the world if it, if it mm -hmm. happens right. And that's why I think somebody like Bernie Sanders or, you know, anyone else like Tulsi Gabbard, whatever, <laughs> who would like actively shepherd America out of that period and, rather and, than like uh, yeah. desperately trying to claw on like Biden. I mean, one of the things that horrified me the most about his campaign was when, I, first of all, the reaction, the harsh backlash to Trump doing diplomacy with North Korea really scared me. But second of all, when Biden criticized Trump for essentially not going to war with Venezuela, um, yeah, that really, that scares me. And now he's, you know, like the, the people that he's putting in his cabinet. Um, so I, I, yeah. I, I think that it's still absolutely worth it to have those conversations. But like hearing the news, we're not big Elizabeth Warren fans, but hearing the news that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have been frozen out of his cabinet, like just completely. I, it just, it scares me. So I, I but I, I do think, you know, Biden aside, it is, it is nice um, to hear that you were able to have that, that conversation with Carolyn Maloney. Like, obviously that's not necessarily able to change the imperial policy, but the, the like direct impact on the lives of, of your constituents um of the stopping evictions i think that's that's really that's really nice it's definitely hear. a relief to hear that some of these people can be pushed yeah or even yeah. just that they have souls you know like it's hard <laughs> it's, it's it's easy it's really easy to dehumanize somebody and i yeah i think, and well and the, i think like for me it's like um they i think they do everyone has the the ability to be human i think but um, even if they're just doing it for politics, like, like if I'm being like a cynic sometimes and, and sometimes I realize it could be, but hypothetically, like if Maloney was helping to stop evictions because her opponent asked her to so that I don't use it against her, I'm still fine with it. <laughs> well, because it's still stopping evictions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter about her. It's about the people getting it, evicted. No, that's absolutely yeah. right. So yeah. looping back, I guess this is like kind of the burning question I've had since, um, you know, since the primary and since we decided to try and land this interview and everything. So in hindsight, 
what could we as Canadian commentators, podcasters, whatever you want to call us, left wingers in general? Yeah. What could we as people who don't live in your district have done in order to help you win that primary? What would have been the single best thing that we could have done? Oh my gosh. Um, well, uh, if, if for Americans, I listening, um, to donate, (laughs) I think it's, it's really unfortunate that, um, our politics revolve around money. And like you mentioned, there was another challenger in the race that we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Very wealthy. (laughs) And, um, both Maloney and this other person have the ability and, um, have paid off hundreds of thousands of dollars in campaign debt um, from their own pockets. Yeah. And I don't have that ability. So there still is like in politics, money matters. And uh, that's unfortunate. But if like work, like the working people of this country hear the message and feel inspired, like if all of them donated a dollar, like at, like every vote we earned, we went back and calculated at the end of the day, we spent $12 per vote. Mm-hmm. So um, like other campaigns, like big campaigns spend like $1,000 for a vote. We did it with so much less money. And thinking about like, if we had, I think we ended up raising $180,000. And so that's 40000 left like a, over, yeah. Yeah and, yeah, and and that was great. And we did a lot with it. But if our campaign raised a million dollars, which would would put us in the same boat as like the other challenger, then I think we really could have won. Right. So the big the big thing is money because it helps you buy ads. It helps you buy more mailers and phone calls and, and more staff. Um but Canadians can't donate, unfortunately. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind I of almost, I almost bought um, during the primary a, a Tulsi Gabbard shirt. And then I looked and, it's, and it looked at the bottom. It was like, this technically counts as a donation. I'm like, I do not want the CIA knocking down my door. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't get it. And, and like, that was kind of why I wanted to ask the question. Like, you know, obviously, if you're American, you can donate. But what can we do as somebody who doesn't live in the United States, but obviously wants to see you um, primary and win? you know, and get to Congress, what could we have done as people who don't I, live in the US? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really helpful that you have this this podcast and um, these conversations because I think um, one of my fears is like a leftist and somebody who like kind of sees how others might see us. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like Canadians to know <laughs> that like many of us are as horrified as you are. Yes. And um and there is this movement to try to change things to 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 move us in the right direction and um i think just like having people understand that it is really meaningful and the more people whether they're canadians americans people in japan that like hear about a campaign and share the word then you might share the word with someone who can donate you might yeah. share the word with somebody who like has relatives in New York 12 that can vote. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like you guys having this, this podcast is kind of like the next best thing. Yeah. So, so I really appreciate that. Yeah. And 40% of her viewers are American, but even like Bernie completely crushed the Democrats abroad in Canada. Yeah. I love and that. And so the primary. So I, I just, I think that 
and you know maybe it's just because the people live here and they think like look what they have why can't we have that he's like a normal liberal mp like (laughs) yeah yeah and and so yeah um and and so no i i think that's that's fair i think raising awareness is is always a good thing i think sometimes it does get a bit emotionally tiring like you you get you you raise awareness and you get worked up about something that you actually can't physically do anything about but i i think that's that's very valid i i think that's that's a good idea um why don't we talk about you're you're allowed to volunteer as canadians so Mm -hmm. like phone banking Mm -hmm. we had people in spain that were phone banking for me it was quite cool that is very cool i know we had a um so our left-wing party in Canada is called the NDP, the New Democrats. And we had someone who was running um, for leadership of it, uh, I think in 2016, 2017. Anyways, it kind of yeah, got exposed that she spent a long time uh, volunteering for Bernie in 2016. Yeah. So There's this, there this big movement to try and get Bernie to come to Canada and volunteer for her. It didn't happen. But uh, no, I, I, that's that's important um, too. Uh, so So... Yeah, why don't we talk about about the other primary challenges? This guy is his name is Suraj Patel, um, and he was sort of, I guess, a left wing moderate. He kind of Yang endorsed, uh, painted himself as moderately progressive, but he was an Obama staffer. So I guess that sort of make of that what you will, dear listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, tell tell us a little bit about him. I think we have some questions about how that all went later because I know there were some things. Oh that my went god. Down, but- yeah, we have bad blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, where do I start? Like, I, I started the campaign, like, thinking that we could both stay in our own lanes. And to be honest, like, I didn't know he was going to run again. Mm. Because I announced in February. I knew it was a possibility, obviously. Oh, yeah. But I announced in February. I think he announced in, like, September. Mm-hmm. September, October, somewhere in there. And um, I knew like if he entered the race, I thought we could like kind of stay in our own lanes and like both run on the issues and stuff. And um, it started to get like kind of weird. I think like I, I got the endorsements, like the organizations that like support like progressive challengers got behind me. Mm-hmm. And like talking about Andrew Yang, like, I even had like disagreements with him, but like Yang wrote me supportive messages, like yeah. not endorse. He didn't endorse me, yeah, but, yeah. um, but the fact that we kind of were able to, to, to have a really kind conversation over Twitter, Andrew Yang and myself, like was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there wasn't like any kind of big names that got behind him or organizations, but he had money. Mm. And I think that um, is very frustrating to me because it just, you want to think that grassroots would always win, but grassroots need money. Mm-hmm. And and that, that fact is, is very frustrating to me. Like, Maloney had the corporate tax, the banks, the like the uh, insurance companies and everything that just threw money at her. Siraj Patel has a very wealthy, well, he he's he's very wealthy and um, I guess has wealthy friends. I don't really know. But like my contact circle is working class mm-hmm. and um, 
these are the people that support my campaign. And, and that was a, a deep honor for me Yeah, that like people that are struggling in the same way that I am struggled and donated a dollar to my campaign. And with that dollar, we were able to make like, like a dozen phone calls, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. we used every single dollar that we got, like we stretched it. We had at, like at the very end of our campaign, a team of like 700 volunteers. Mm -hmm. So that kind of like movement-based campaign and, and support from working class and thousands of donors versus a few hundred maxed out donors yeah. or like, it's frustrating because um, sometimes like me and Patel would get lumped into the same category and uh, we're both called like the progressive challengers. And it's like, mm. like if he <laughs> it's like, didn't come. <laughs> yeah. Like you're both progressive challengers, but there's only one of you that's willing to call yourself a socialist and actually yeah. interact with yeah. you know, working class people and what they're worried about. Can you yeah. really be a progressive if you're that? wealthy yeah and like, you like, can have the social views certainly but is it contradictory i don't know I, i'd have to think about that but like I, I i do think no that's that's fair and so you his camp really they harassed you personally you know i've, I've read about his staffers like bullying you trying to pretend you were racist and, uh, and this is that were like actually like a... illegal to your posters i i had a i was reading a news article about it where they were oh like gosh. taking your posters down and replacing them with his which last I checked was like actually breaking the law. Um, so, so what, do you, was there like a, an inciting incident or did he just decide to sort of shut out the person who ate up his ground from the left? Um, oh, I think it was like a slow burn to be mm -hmm. honest. Like we were like, I think nobody really thinks about like what it's like to be behind the scenes of politics. Yeah. But like, like being in a campaign with two people that you don't like and having to see them both like multiple times a week on forums and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, I can't really even put it into words, but like there's this one particular incident where um, it was a, uh, a club in the Lower East Side. We had like a forum in a hospital actually and um somebody raised his hand and asked Siraj Patel what his disability platform was and Siraj kind of like muddled through like a not really policy he did a policy like he thing. didn't know yeah. yeah like he was saying like platitudes we will then, ensure that you know their needs are met and something like yeah, that yeah yeah something something along those lines whereas you actually do have like a big platform i just looked at your website for a disability yeah, yeah. disability is a huge passion for me because yeah. uh we can get into that but okay. i think um like he muddled through and then this person said siraj you ran last time and I met you for lunch and I gave you your disability platform. And the fact that you didn't use it and you forgot it and you're looking me in the face, making one up right now, like that was like a moment for me. Cause like, I am very passionate about disability issues. And there's this guy that like has money to put into a campaign and like has somehow bought this 
identity as like a progressive challenger where to be quite honest whenever you like actually dive into his platform and he's like suggesting he like proposed medicare for kids which is a step towards medicare for all but it was a compromise it's totally needless it's needless incrementalism i just i don't get it it's like you have a good thing and you have a bad thing and it's like let's compromise Yes. It's like with fracking. Yeah. That's the issue that I have with the Democratic Party. And like, here's this guy right next to me that like has this reputation as a progressive challenger because he's not Maloney. Yeah. But he's rich in the same way. And he proposes even more incremental solutions than Maloney. She's on board with Medicare for all and has (sighs) never proposed a a, a compromise. So so what you're saying is, is, Patel is a Pete Buttigieg Democrat. Yes. Yeah. And they're okay. friends. Him oh, they're Pete friends. Buttigieg oh, that makes friends. so much sense. That makes now, so much now sense. Now it's all connected. It, it so like, yeah. Yeah. So like you can you can imagine like we worked our asses off and and every single dollar that we raised was hard earned. Mm-hmm. And to have like our posters taken down, to to have like threats made to me by his staffers like um for 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 this kind of stuff to happen and then for people to lump us into the same category yeah. is kind of insulting it's yeah. very well it's also like you know to me it actually it does seem like he was trying to pretend to be a progressive challenger when he really wasn't like he was trying to get that support yeah trying yeah. to get that voter base and so that's why you were to him and for a strategist a bigger threat than Maloney was because there's yeah. always going to be the people yeah. who are going to vote for the progressive, always going to be the people who vote for the moderate. And so I just, it, it seems to me to be not only is it like morally heinous, but like incredibly intellectually dishonest. And I, I just want to make it clear to our listeners that this wasn't like a, a Joe Kennedy, the third or like a, a Hillary Clinton, like harassment camp, you know, claiming harassment where there really wasn't any, this was a pretty severe harassment campaign against Lauren. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, p- people online are saying mean things about me. It was um, very, it was very bad. Well, yeah, as I said, actually illegal, illegal activity. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think we've established that you don't really trust the Democratic Party. No. Um, so no. Would, you, would you say you're optimistic or pessimistic then about the future of America? Oh my God, I, I don't know if this is like pathological. And that's another thing that I try to like check with myself sometimes. Mm. So maybe I should have like regular conversations with Canadians to do like a pulse check. <laughs> I still like, I have gone through hell and back with this campaign. Right. And like thinking about running again honestly makes me sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll do it again someday. Maybe not 2022, but like I'll run again someday. Thinking about it makes me want to throw up because it's a terrible experience where your life is on hold. Like my grandma died while I was campaigning. Like um, I didn't sleep, I didn't eat right. And then we got like quarantined in this tiny apartment like halfway through. Yeah. So um, I don't know, I would do it again. And I still think that there's hope. So there might be something wrong with me, but like for some reason, this like little bit of idealism, um, I'm still like pretty dedicated to thinking that there's enough of us that we can somehow 
make people understand that we've been sold some shitty propaganda. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, first of all, obviously like take care of yourself first, but I also think that that is like the most honorable thing. I think the person who is best suited to lead is the person who doesn't really want to. And I think that if, if uh, everyone says that, at least. But without delving into the it. Felix Biederman theory of presidential Yeah, let's not do elections. that. But I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's really, um, as weird as it sounds, like the fact that the idea of trying again is so terrifying to you probably means that you're the right person to do it. Because mm-hmm. I imagine that Carolyn Maloney, Suraj Patel got like full nine hour, 10 hour sleeps. They woke up, they felt, oh, yeah. they, the birds tweeted <laughs> on their windowsill, right? Because they had the money, they, and whereas you had to be on the ground. And I, I think that, you know, ultimately this may be too optimistic of me, but the, maybe this is like very uh, historical materialism, but they are outnumbered. And, and so mm-hmm. eventually like, be it by vote or be it by other, other things, um, the, the, it's sort of inevitable that these people are toppled, I think, just simply because they are outnumbered and, and, you know, a propaganda campaign can delay that, but the levels of inequality in America now are higher than they were in Russia in 1917. They are higher than they were in France in, you know, 1788. And so I, I, I would be optimistic about it, but I, I think that that's a completely fair point. And, and that's also yeah. why they're also hesitant to speak to how people are actually living. Yeah. Because they know if they start to acknowledge that, then people start to get other dangerous, very dangerous ideas to them. Yeah. 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 And that's the whole thing is like this whole, like, I imagine if we were all on a, on a level playing field, like if you could only personally give so much to your campaign, mm. not hundreds of thousands of mm. dollars or like self-funding it yeah. or like bailing out your campaign with $300,000. If it was like in the 1800s where you had to go around and ask people to vote for you. Yes. Yeah. Then, then the progressives would win. Every time. Every single yeah. time. If it were an even playing field, if Maloney didn't have insurance money, if Patel couldn't like bail himself out with hundreds of thousands of dollars, like if, if all three of us were on an even playing field, then, then I truly believe I could have won. We would be talking to Congresswoman. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Congresswoman elects Lauren Ashcraft. Yeah. (laughs) That is sort of, I guess it's a sad thing to see, but it's also kind of an optimistic thing because I think that things are changing. And I think that eventually, you know, whether it's by like actual proper collapse or whether it's by somebody properly taking over, if somebody mounts a successful primary challenge against Harris in 2024, whatever. Mm. Um, I think that the playing field will be leveled. And so I, I I don't know, maybe that's idealistic of me, but I, I, I do think that better things are, are certainly achievable. Um, but yeah, I think that's the end of our line of questioning. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I, I, I just really appreciate both of you um, having me on. And uh, it's our honor. Yeah, it, it, this has been something that we've been looking forward to for a while. So thank you so much for your time. And as is customary in the podcasting world, we're going to ask you if there's anything else you want to plug. Any, you know, it could be a donation thing, could be something you're working on personally. Anything you want to share with our listeners? Um, you know what? Um, 
I think um, I've been really active with uh, a group called Astoria Mutual Aid Network. And that is an amazing group that is providing food um, multiple times per week to uh, low-income residents in, uh, in Western Queens. And if anybody wants to throw them a donation, um, I, I, I work closely with them and, and uh, am usually at the Friday disbursement of meals. So um, that is a way to really help people in this time um, in Queens, which is still really expensive to hang on to your house if, if, if you have one. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I would totally recommend throwing them even like five bucks. And then also my recently my cat passed away and um, I hate like it's, it's not the time to focus on animal rights over human rights because we're so far behind on like humans being equal in this country. Um, but in her honor, I actually adopted her. She was a foster cat and um, I, I didn't give her back. <laughs> um, I got her from City Critters Inc. And um, that's an amazing organization that um, does not turn away animals uh uh cats uh, and unfortunately there are a lot of people who are losing their ability to keep their pets right now and i personally understand that pets um are companions and members of your family and help you when when you have emotional struggles so anyway city critters inc is another organization that i would plug right now in my cat's honor um, because they, they're here for the families that have pets and also here for the homeless animals of New York City right now. I did, I used to um, do work with a, a charity for impoverished people with HIV and AIDS in, in Toronto. And I, I, I did a thing where they would give pet food out as well, because often what happens is when somebody has a pet and they are, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel, the pet will get fed and they won't. And so if you can feed the pet, then they can feed themselves or they're more able to. So I think that's really important. The links for both of those will be in the description of the podcast. Thank um, you so much. Oh, that no, is no, no it's, it's our honor. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been wonderful. Um, and so maybe one day there will be another reason to have you back on. Uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, until then, uh, thank you so much. Um, and for our listeners, we'll see you next week. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day. (laughs) You too. Bye.